Hello, everyone. Good morning again. It's wonderful to be with you all. If I missed you earlier in the welcome, it's good to be with you. It's wonderful to be back. And I look forward to continuing our time together this morning as we consider God's Word. You may not know this about me, but uh, I am one of those really annoying people that loves Christmas carols. And so from the 1st of December, all the other playlists get set aside, and it's only Christmas carol time which is very frustrating for my wife, who likes a little bit more diversity in her life. But I figure I get one month a year where we get to enjoy Christmas carols about Jesus, and so I really look forward to that time. And so I'm quite excited to be sharing with you in the series, which we have called Christmas by Carols, and we're looking at the things that Scripture tells us about Jesus as they are contained in some of the carols that we often sing. And last week, Roland kicked us off with one of the most well-known carols, an extremely popular carol called Joy to the World. This week, we're going to be doing the kind of other extreme and doing a carol that's a little bit less well-known called O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Can we get a show of hands? How many of you know the carol O Come, O Come, Emmanuel? And that's not bad. We're about 45%. I think as we get to the evening service, I'm going to drop right down to like 15 The history of this carol is really quite interesting. Do you know this history? The history of this carol dates back over a millennia. So this carol was first written as a part of an early Catholic monastic tradition where monks would get together in the week preceding Christmas and they would recite phrases and stanzas, lines about God that they had drawn from the Old Testament. And so it was obviously written in Latin, and over the week leading up to Christmas, they would, they would chant these, these truths, uh, these verses. And they were called the O Antiphons, and each day had a particular antiphon that was chanted on that day. And so that was in about the 8th or the 9th century, and it took almost a 1,000 years until 1851, where a chap called John Neal translated these stanzas from the Latin into English and joined it with a tune, which is not the tune that we sing today, and this carol, this hymn, was first born. Now, the interesting, well, one of the interesting things about this carol, I don't understand this, so full disclosure here. I'm not musical enough to understand what this means, but the particular um, stanzas, as they were written, were composed in a hymn that was called it was called a metrical hymn. Do you guys know what that means? Right, it was written in 888888. Anyone knows what that means? Maybe that's helpful for you. But what it meant was, it meant they could transpose the words onto any number of musical melodies that existed. And so in 19, or 1851, the same year, another chap called Thomas Helmore, he connected the stanzas that John Neal had translated with the melody that was known as Veni Emmanuel which was a melody that had derived right back from the 15th century in France. And so the words that we're going to sing later today come from just about a millennia and a bit ago, and the tune comes from the 15th century, so 500 years ago. And they were joined together, and in that pairing was birthed the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And originally it had seven stanzas for the seven days of the week, um, Today, modern translation, we only sing about three or four of those. We're going to do three this morning because if I had to try and share with you from seven, we would be here until ESCOM load sheds us again. We want you to be able to eat lunch before that happens. All right, so this wonderful hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is also not a traditional Christmas carol, though it is considered to be a Christmas carol and really only sung around Christmas. 
Because while it's a carol that is pregnant with the hope of Messiah, which is something that almost all carols share, it's about the coming of the Messiah to the world, it's also a carol that remembers the hardship and the challenges of life. And at the heart of this hymn is to place God as Emmanuel in the midst of our hardship and our pain, and to find joy in the fact that in the midst of our hardship and pain, Emmanuel is there. So you'll see as we look at this carol that each verse is opened by a plea for God to come into a particular heartache, into a particular lament. And then it's concluded with a declaration of hope that God's promise of Emmanuel is sure and irrevocable. And we can trust that he will be with us as Emmanuel. So we're going to consider this carol. We're going to look at what is being lamented in each verse. We're going to take note then of how Scripture affirms that lament because I can't preach to you from a carol. We always anchor what we share in Scripture. And so we're going to be bringing that back to the Scriptures. Then we're going to see Scripture's affirmation of the promise of Emmanuel and what Emmanuel brings into that situation of despair. And we're going to consider how that applies to us today in the lead-up to Christmas. So let's start with verse 1. And it goes like this. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. And then there's a refrain that we sing after every verse. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, will come to thee, O Israel. This first verse laments the experience of the nation of Israel as they were taken into exile. So if you know your Old Testament history, there was a point at which the northern kingdom and then the southern kingdom were destroyed and taken into exile, the southern kingdom into Babylon. And they were living in bondage. They were living subservient to another nation and another ruler. And this verse acknowledges the loneliness of that experience and the emotional pain that that loneliness involves. So just think for a moment what that would be like, to live in a place where no one else is like you, to mourn the loss of your home, to be trying to make the best of a situation that you wish you weren't in, to keep thinking back to the old days, to the home that you used to have in a place that was yours, where all your neighbors were like you and you shared a similar heart and a similar mind, where you went to temple together, where you worshiped together, where you lived together. In our South African history, we don't have to look back too far for people to have experienced this, unfortunately. Some of you may have emigrated, either coming to South Africa or going abroad or spent significant time abroad, and you'll know what that feeling is like when you're in a room and suddenly you hear a South African accent somewhere, and you just, oh, it just warms the heart. I'm like, I'm home again. It's the loneliness of exile, and it's captured in this lament from Israel. So we're going to share from Scripture. Scripture actually has a whole book given over to lamenting and mourning loss, and it's in the book of Lamentations. And the first chapter of Lamentations speaks about this particular lament that Israel had as they looked out of exile and looked back to what was. So Lamentations chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Jerusalem, once so full of people, is now deserted. She who was once great among the nations now sits alone like a widow. Once the queen of all the earth, she is now a slave. She sobs through the night. Tears stream down her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one left to comfort her. All of her friends have betrayed her and become her enemies. Judah has been led away into captivity, oppressed with cruel slavery. She lives among foreign nations and has no place of rest. Her enemies have chased her down and she has nowhere to run, to turn. The roads to Jerusalem are in mourning. 
For crowds no longer come to celebrate the festivals. The city gates are silent. Her priests groan. Her young women are crying. How bitter is her fate. This was just some of the pain of the loneliness of exile that the people of Israel were able to express. Jeremiah was able to write down in the book of Lamentations. As we read that, you might be thinking, right, that's, that's well and good and I'm sad for Israel, but what does that have to do with us in 2022 as we move up to Christmas? This is the thing about Christmas. Christmas is this beautiful time of, of family where we, we all get together and we celebrate as Christians the coming of Jesus into the world and we share together in the worshiping of our Savior as we come to church. We celebrate together with wonderful meals and we relax and we enjoy one another's company. And so we've eaten so much that we're so full that it's all we can do to kind of roll our way to the car and kind of idle our way home where we roll over and sleep for the rest of the day. Except that sometimes, some of us can't do that. And our loneliness is made all the more painful by the ubiquitous celebrations that we see in all our friends around us. I'll share a personal story with you. Um, You know what happens when you get married is you do this thing where you start sharing parents over Christmas, right? So... Um, you know, Christmas Eve is with my parents and Christmas is with your parents and we kind of alternate to try and keep things balanced. So this is what Glenda and I have had to do. And so last year, because, you know, my dad's also a very big introvert and so, you know, we don't uh, do big family celebrations. Um, and so we, we're quite a small-knit family and so last year was, was my family time. We were going to be with my parents on Christmas Day and um, we, we have no extended family in Cape Town. When my parents got married, they had about a four-day honeymoon and then they drove down to Cape Town and moved here. And so we don't have close family in Cape Town. But uh, last year, my sister was going to fly down from the UK. She uh, fell in love with a British doctor. And uh, unfortunately, they married and moved over to the UK. And so last year, we were all excited. She was going to come down. And uh, I wasn't working. So we'd be able to go to church together and then go back and, and have Christmas lunch together. And it was looking like really exciting. And then, as you might remember, COVID was a bit of a thing last year. And so Boris decided, hey, sorry, if you're in the UK, you want to go to South Africa? That's not happening anymore. And so her flights were canceled, and she had to postpone them. And so my sister wasn't coming down for Christmas anymore. And then the week before Christmas, as we all got it together for a wonderful carol service, uh, we had a friend who came along with us, and uh, what we didn't know is that she covertly had COVID, and we managed to pick it up from her. And so two or three days before Christmas, Glenda and I are now sick with COVID. And my dad has significant comorbidities, and so it was just wasn't going to be fair to come together at Christmas. And so this beautiful family Christmas that we had planned just disintegrated. And I remember driving through to my parents' place on the day before Christmas and, uh, and parking outside and opening the gate and walking into the driveway and placing the bag of gifts for my parents on the paving. And my mom coming a few steps into the driveway but staying distant. And I just remember the tears at how much heartbreak and sadness there was that this thing that we were supposed to have, this togetherness, had been broken. And the best we could do was talk to one another 20 meters apart and phone each other on Christmas Day. That's actually a reality that I'm sure many of you, as you sit here this morning, share. I wonder how many parents are here this morning and your children have moved away and are living overseas and you won't be spending Christmas with them. I wonder how many children have moved down here to Cape Town and they won't be able to get back and see their parents for Christmas. 
See, sometimes Christmas can actually be a really lonely time. But just as there was hope for the Israelites in the promise of Emmanuel, so there is hope for us in God and Jesus as Emmanuel. We share this verse often. Roland shared it last week. When it comes to Christmas time, because it is about the promise of Messiah, it is about the promise of Emmanuel, it's about Jesus who comes to redeem that which is damaged and broken. And so for Israel, as they were in darkness, this was their promise that they held on to in Isaiah chapter 9. It said, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We love that prophecy about Jesus. That prophecy is about Jesus who comes as Emmanuel, which Isaiah makes clear in two chapters earlier in Isaiah chapter 7. He says this in verse 14. He says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That is our promise, friends. That's the promise that Israel held on to for all those years as they waited in exile. It's the same promise that we have and we realize it Right now, we live in the time of Jesus as Emmanuel. God gave us this promise so many times in the New Testament. I'll give you just a few. Remember in the Great Commission. Right? There's this beautiful moment as Jesus finishes his ministry with his disciples. And he says to them, listen guys, here's the deal. I'm going to leave, but what I need you to do, go into all the world. Make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them to obey. And what's his promise? I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. We live in the time of Emmanuel. Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 13. He says, guys, don't you realize that Christ Jesus is in you? He is with you. He has joined himself to you. He prays for the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 3. And he says, I pray that you would come to know that Christ dwells in your heart through faith. There's a very real reality where Jesus is on the throne at the right hand of the Father in heaven. But there is an equally true reality where he is Emmanuel, God who is with us in spirit and who has joined us to him. And in that we find hope. See, when we slow down enough from the busyness and the craziness of our lives, we're able to very meaningfully and very deeply experience the closeness of our living God, Emmanuel, who is God with us. I know this is true for me. I love worshiping together with you. You can probably hear me singing off-key in the front. I love being in prayer together with God's people. But the times I feel most closely connected to God are when I'm alone, in solitude. That's, That's the reality we get to live in. That's the partial fulfillment of the promise of Emmanuel is we are now God is with us in spirit. There is a future reality as well. That is even greater. And we're going to touch on that a little bit later. But we look forward to when God will not just be Emmanuel with us in spirit, but he will be with us in flesh as well. So if you are alone this Christmas, I want to remind you that you are not truly alone if you know Jesus. He is with you. 
And as a sidebar, if you would like to spend some time with your family, your Christian family, John and Shirley will be hosting a lunch here in the Connect Cafe on Christmas Day. And you're so welcome to join them. That is the, the heart and the purpose of it. You just need to contact the church office and they would love you to join them. Okay, verse 2. Verse 2 says this, O come, thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and put and death's dark shadow put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel will come to you, O Israel. This second verse of our carol is a paraphrase of Zechariah's prophecy for his unborn son, John the Baptist, from Luke 1, 78. And it's an entreaty for God to come like the light of dawn and to disperse the gloom and the sadness and the fear that comes from death. Friends, death is one of those subjects that none of us like to dwell on. And it's particularly one of those subjects we don't like to talk about at Christmas time. But unfortunately, and even inside the church, we can be found guilty of avoiding the subject of death or euphemizing it. And I was, I was astonished as I was doing some research to put this message together, how easy it was to find resources that help you, like scriptures to help comfort you in your grief, and how difficult it was to find resources that just validated and acknowledged the pain of grief. But I think this is the thing that this verse does for us. It brings us face to face with this deep and profound challenge of death. And yes, we as Christians, we don't grieve as the world grieves because we do have hope. Because Jesus has been Emmanuel and he does bring hope and there is a life after this one. But we do still grieve and we still feel pain. And there's still a hole in our heart that used to be a person. And we weep and we mourn and our heartache is real. And there are no platitudes or verses of scripture that cause that pain to simply go away. There's a story in David's life, which is really tragic, but which I really like because it it helps us encounter this reality. See, there's a point in David's life where he's fleeing from King Saul, right? So he's not yet king over Israel, and he's hiding out from Saul, and he's gone to live with the Philistines in the neighboring nation. And the Philistines have decided they're going to make war with Israel. And so David decides to journey up to join the Philistines because he's now one of their subjects. And so he makes himself available to the Philistine king. And he says, hey, I'm here to help. I'll join you in the battle against the Israelites. And the king says, hey, that's great. But a bunch of the other lords in the army, they're like, listen, Dave, we don't trust you, mates. We don't want to get into a battle. And then halfway through, you switch sides. So please go home. And so David has to return back to his hometown, which is, you know, about 80 miles south of where the battle was going to take place. And so we pick up the story here in 1 Samuel chapter 30 from verses 1 to 4. It says, three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites, a third and different nation, had made a raid into the Negev and into Ziklag, and they had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. And they had carried off the women and the children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. But when David and his men saw the ruins and they realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. And I love this story because it demonstrates for us the true reality of unadulterated grief. Where we just mourn and grieve the losses and the pain that we experience. 
This is the reality of grief. And when you have lost someone that you love, sometimes there are no words that will do. And all you have left is tears. And many of you will know what I mean. Some of you might only learn in time. The thing with Christmas time is that that grief can become even more concentrated in this moment. Because it was Christmas time when you would all gather together as a family. And that person was always a part of your gathering, an integral part of your gathering. Or perhaps for you and for your family, the person that you loved happened to die around Christmas time. And now as you gear up for this moment of celebration, you also gear up for the anniversary of the death of someone that you really loved. And so Christmas can become a moment that is, that is tinged and tainted by the dark clouds of death and sadness and loss. But our carol calls us to look for hope in Emmanuel, our God who is with us. And it reminds me of what I think is the heartbreaking story of John chapter 11, where Jesus' friend Lazarus dies. And if you read the story, you will, you will see the grief of the whole community is kind of laid bare for you as they are in mourning for days and the village is gathered. And Jesus enters into this place and there are people weeping all around him. And he sees Martha and she sees him and she cries out. She says, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And for those of us who have experienced loss and grief, How often have we cried out those words to the Lord? If only you had done something, this person might not have died. And I love how Jesus answers her. He says in verses 25 and 26, Jesus told her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And I love the picture in the story that we get of Jesus as Emmanuel. Because in the first instance, Jesus is there. He's in the midst. He didn't choose to remain far off in a different place. But he chose to come near, to be with the family. He puts himself in the midst of their grief. And if you remember in John chapter 11, we get the shortest verse of the Bible. And it's so beautiful because it says simply, Jesus wept. He comes into the midst of a grieving community, of a grieving family, and he weeps with them and he mourns with them because he feels with them. And this for me is this amazingly beautiful picture of the compassionate God that we serve. He doesn't remain far off and aloof like he's too great and mighty to enter into the brokenness and the pain of our hurt. But he comes and places himself right in the midst to simply be there amongst loved ones who are grieving. So I want to say to you, if you are grieving this Christmas and there is someone that you love who is not going to be with you, Jesus, Emmanuel, will be at your table. He presences himself there and he is full of comfort and compassion and love even in the midst of your heartache. But he also brings hope. He brings hope because death is not the end. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And this is why we can grieve differently to the world. Because Jesus became Emmanuel, he perfectly fulfilled the law that we were called to keep but never could. Because Jesus was Emmanuel, he could perfectly pay the price for sin that we could never pay and would always be found wanting of. 
Because he came as Emmanuel, we now have a hope for a life after this one because our sin was atoned for when he died in our place on the cross. And that is something that we can rejoice in because we know we will see them again and we will have a life with him. Verse 3 in our carol picks up a new lament. It says, I come desire of nations and bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid thou our sad division cease and be thyself our king of peace. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. We'll come to you, O Israel. This third verse laments the divisiveness that can exist between groups of people. And at its most fundamental level, it laments the breakdown of human relationships that happens amongst us. And it's a prayer for God to bind back together that which has been sundered apart. Sadly, we don't need to look far in Scripture to see this beginning to happen. We can get into Genesis chapter 5, and already we see Cain and Abel at each other's throats. I'll share with you from Genesis chapter 27, verses 41 to 45. It says, From that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme. He says, I'm going to be soon mourning my father's death, but then I will kill my brother Jacob. But Rebekah heard about Esau's plan, so she sent for Jacob and she told him, listen, Esau is consoling himself by planning to kill you. So listen carefully, my son. Get ready and flee. Go to Laban, my brother, and he's in Haran. Stay with him until your brother cools off when he calms down and forgets what you've done to him. Then I will send for you to come back because I don't want to lose both of you in one day. If you're not familiar with the story of Jacob and Esau, in a nutshell, Jacob steals his brother's birthright. And because of this, that, this vast enmity grows between them. My friends, I wish this kind of story could be consigned to the pages of Scripture. I wish it was something that had only happened in the past and doesn't continue to happen today. But the reality is that, it's, that it happens often. It happens right amongst us. There are friends and family and loved ones here in our church where families won't connect over Christmas time because someone refuses to speak with someone else. There are people who, who won't host Christmas at their home because they refuse to allow certain people to come into their house. Please note, I don't know what your family looks like. I'm just, these are just observations. They're not judgments in any way. But it's so heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking. And if your family is in a space like that, Christmas becomes a time that's a little bittersweet. Because as you celebrate Jesus and his coming into the world and the hope that we have in Messiah, you're also grieving the brokenness that is made more obvious for you by the comparison around you. But again, it's Jesus, Emmanuel, who brings light and hope into the darkness. That hope is first for now. And it's ultimately culminated in eternity. Because first and foremost, friends, it is only through the power of the gospel that deep and lasting reconciliation can happen. Our world tries. South Africa tries. Some stuff happens. But it's only through the power of the gospel that real reconciliation can happen. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes this. He says, in those days, you, you Gentiles, you non-Jewish believers, in other words, us, 
You were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel. You didn't know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world and you were without God and you were without hope. But now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself brought peace to us. And he united Jew and Gentile into one people when in his body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. It's a theological reality that Paul describes of something that Jesus has done in the spirit as he takes two broken and separate people and brings them together in one. There's a story that demonstrates this about a lady called Corrie ten Boom. I don't know how many of you know of Corrie ten Boom. Right, she's a wonderful Christian lady. She had the misfortune of choosing to hide Jews in her house during the Second World War, and they were discovered. And she, her sister, and the Jews were taken to Ravensbrück concentration camp. And her sister died in that concentration camp. And a few years later, she is sharing. She managed to survive. She came out of the camp. And a few years later, she is sharing the good news about Jesus in a church in Germany. And she's sharing about the forgiveness that's available in Christ. And at the end of the service, a man walks up to her, and he's got a big overcoat on and a heavy hat, and he's kind of walking in a slouched way. And he walks up to her, and he says, Were you at Ravensbrück concentration camp? I was one of the guards there, and I'd like to ask you to forgive me. And she writes and she describes the incredible emotional turmoil and pain that this moment aroused in her as the man stood before her with his hand outstretched waiting to see if she could offer him forgiveness. The man in front of whom her sister had died, the man in front of whom she'd been forced to walk naked and bereft of dignity. And she sat there and she thought to herself, Lord, I know that you are calling me to offer forgiveness to this man because you forgive us as we forgive others who have sinned against us. But God, my heart is so far away from this moment and I I don't know how to offer genuine love and forgiveness to this person. And so she prayed and she says, Lord, I'm going to reach out my hand and I want to pray that you will supply the feeling. And so she reached out her hand. She said slowly, woodenly, and she gripped his hand. And she said, my brother, I forgive you. And in that moment, she describes this incredible warmth and light that filled her body. And she just cried out in joy as the power of the Lord's Spirit washed over her. It's a beautiful story because it illustrates the power of the gospel. I don't know what your family looks like. But I want to tell you, the power of the gospel is able to heal whatever damage and whatever brokenness is there. But our our God, Emmanuel, brings hope for more than just this moment. The last line in this verse alludes to what, for me, is one of the most beautiful promises in all of Scripture. It says, and be thyself our king of peace. And it's a promise that is contained in in many different places in Scripture, but perhaps culminates in the revelation, uh, in the pronouncement in Revelation 21. And El, can I ask you and the team to come and join me up on the stage? We're going to wrap up in a moment. This is what the Apostle John writes in Revelation 21. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. 
And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. Friends, there is for us an eternal promise of perfect redemption and restoration that exists for us as Christians. Where Jesus is not only Emmanuel in spirit, but he is Emmanuel in the flesh and in the life hereafter. And we will walk with him again, just as Adam and Eve did in the garden. We will walk with him in the new earth. And there will be no more death. And there will be no more sorrow. And there will be no more crying or pain. Because all of those things will be gone forever. That is the hope of Jesus, Emmanuel. That is why we can rejoice. Because our Emmanuel has come and he will come again. And so I'm going to ask us, let's stand together. We're going to sing this carol and this hymn as a proclamation. And then we're going to create a space for any of you who would like ministry afterwards. We'd love you to come forward. We'd love to pray with you.